Memorial Day is the day Americans stop to remember those who have given their lives in service to our nation. Welcome to the Battle of Elah Valley, featuring Ray Pritchard. Ray is a frequent co-host of today's issues and serves as president of Keep Believing Ministries. Thanks for joining us for the Battle of Elah Valley. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about one of the most famous battles in world history. It took place in ancient Israel at a place called the Elah Valley. Two great armies met that day, the army of Israel and the army of the Philistines. We still talk about what happened in that valley. By the end of that day, a young boy would write his name on the pages of history. This is the story of David and Goliath. You can find it in your Bible in 1 Samuel 17. As the mist cleared from the valley, the men on both sides knew the time had come. Before this day was done, many soldiers would die. The soldiers of the army of Israel checked their weapons, made sure their uniforms were ready, and grabbed a quick bite of bread and cheese. Older soldiers took a swig of wine from the flask and then spit it out. They had the hardened look of men who knew what was to come. The younger ones were quiet. All the bragging, all the boasting, all the big talk of the night before was gone. Those young men, the new ones, they were too scared to tell jokes and too ashamed to admit their fear. As they looked across the Eli Valley, they saw on the other side the men whom they would soon meet in battle. The Israelites were on one slope, the Philistines on the other. In between was a valley, the Eli Valley. In the valley was a ravine. In the ravine was a wadi, a dry creek bed. Soon that valley would be a battlefield. Soon that valley would be littered with the bodies of soldiers who died. Before we go on, it will help to know that the Philistines had started this war. Somehow, the ragtag army of Hebrew farmers had defeated them just a few months earlier at the Battle of Michmash. It had been a stinging, humiliating defeat, and now the Philistines meant to pay them back with interest. When the word is given, the battle will begin. But the word is not given because a strange thing happens. The Philistines are not coming down the slope. They aren't coming. And at first, the men of Israel think maybe they've won by forfeit. But before they can celebrate, a sight unfolds before them, the likes of which they have never seen before. Something is moving down the slope. Something big, something huge. It's like a tree or maybe a mountain. Whatever it is, it's covered with glittering bronze. The thing got to the middle ground near the ravine and suddenly a shudder ran through the men of Israel. It's a man, the biggest man they've ever seen. First Samuel 17 describes him in detail. He stands six cubits and a span. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, but if you convert it to our system of measurement, it means Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. He's clad from head to toe in armor. He wore a bronze helmet. 
and a bronze coat of armor that weighed nearly 125 pounds. He wore bronze shin guards and had a bronze javelin slung over his back. His spear was like a weaver's beam, meaning it was a thick shaft of wood like a small log. The head of the spear had an iron point weighing 17 pounds. Ahead of him marched a soldier carrying a shield large enough to cover his entire body. Having gotten their attention, which he certainly did, this is what Goliath says. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Now, what Goliath proposes is the ancient tradition of single combat, a little game of one-on-one, winner-take-all. One man from your side, one from mine. He would represent the Philistines, and someone would represent the Israelites. They would fight in that valley to the death, and the army of the winner would win the entire battle. Now, this was a good plan. It saved time and potentially avoided useless bloodshed, but it only worked if someone accepted the challenge. You see, when Goliath says, am I not a Philistine, 1 Samuel 17, 8, the Hebrew text actually reads, am I not the Philistine, meaning I'm the baddest man the Philistines ever had. If you want to find out how bad I am, just come on down and fight me. Arrogance drips off every word. Now, what would you do? Would you go and fight Goliath? Maybe you're 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", tops. Okay, maybe you're six feet tall. You're 25 years old, a hard scrabble farmer from Hebron. You've got a wife and three kids back home. Would you go and fight Goliath? It would be suicide. At least, that's the way the men of Israel felt. Verse 11 says, Saul and all Israel were dismayed and terrified. Isn't it interesting? Not just that the men in general were terrified, that Saul himself, the great King Saul, the man who had led his people to victory earlier. What has happened since then? He has disobeyed the Lord's command. And because of that, well, you remember the story. What is this bleeding of the sheep I hear in my ears? was the Lord's way of reminding Saul he was not to take spoils from the battle, but he did. He gave in to his own people. They took spoils from the battle. And that's when Samuel said to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice, and rebellion is like the, the, like the sin of divination. In other words, Saul, you are God's man, but because you disobeyed, now, now you are going to be replaced which means that the hand of God's blessing has been removed. And that is why the Bible says that when Goliath roared out his threats, even Saul was dismayed and terrified. And so the challenge went unmet. 
Goliath went back to his camp, but it was not over, not by a long shot. Verse 16 tells us that Goliath came out 40 days straight. Can you imagine that? 40 days in a row, twice a day, morning and evening. Here comes Goliath in the morning, and he leaves. Here comes Goliath in the evening, and he leaves. It's always the same thing. He would threaten, he would cajole, he would insult, he would curse, and still no one would answer the challenge. God's people were losing the battle before it even started. Said another way, at ground level, giants unglue us and we can't go on. The problem is not how big the giant is, it's how small he makes us feel. So small that we think we don't have a chance. Giants defeat us not because they're big, but because they make us feel small. Enter David, hero of the story. But when we meet him, he's not the hero. He's the grocery boy making a delivery. You see, David is tending the sheep at Bethlehem while his three older brothers are in the army. David's father, Jesse, wants to get a report from the battlefield. So he decides to send David on a mission to the battlefield with some food for his brothers. It's a hefty load, five pounds of roasted grain, 10 loaves of bread, 10 cheeses. It's 18 miles from Bethlehem to the Eli Valley. David runs all the way. He gets there just as Goliath is making his daily rounds for the 40th time. This is pretty old stuff by now. Verse 23, in fact, says that Goliath was spouting his usual defiance. He comes out, makes a few threats, curses the men of Israel, then goes back to his lines so he can toss off a couple of drinks at the officer's club. But this time, oh, this time, things will be different. David hasn't heard a thing about Goliath and his challenge. He's just excited to be on the battlefield and away from those sheep. So he asks, what's going on? Why doesn't somebody take care of that loudmouth? He says it this way, verse 26, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Wait a minute, did you get that? The armies of the living God, not the armies of Saul or the armies of Israel. That makes all the difference in the world. The soldiers, the rest of them, they're saying, do you see that guy? Do you hear him? He's like a mountain out there. David, you wouldn't last five seconds. Don't you see him? Yes, David sees him, but he also sees something else that nobody in the army of Israel had seen. David saw that Goliath was not only defying Israel, he was defying Israel's God. David, you see, looks at life differently. David in himself and by himself and in his own power, he's no match for Goliath. But when that uncircumcised Philistine took on God, he got in over his head. This is not braggadocio or big talk. No, it's entirely different. This is a man who sees Goliath from above. It's like looking down at Shaquille O'Neal from the top of the Empire State Building. At ground level, you look up at him, but from the top floor, you need binoculars to find him. It's all a matter of perspective. David's screen was filled with God, 
and therefore everything else was whittled down to proper size. He saw Goliath, but he also saw God, and that made all the difference. You see, when God is in his right place, Goliath shrinks down to the proper size. When Goliath replaces God, you'll run away in terror every time. So, word comes to Saul that at last a man has been found. When Saul finds out it's David, he can't believe it. David, in his eyes, is just a kid, which in fact is what he was. He was just a young man. No chance, underline that, friends, no chance in the world he could beat Goliath. So Saul tells David, you're only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. David's answer is classic. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Behind these brave words lies an important truth. Every giant in your path is also in God's path if you are going in God's direction. If you're in the will of God, that is, if you're obeying God, following God, and doing what God wants. If you're in the will of God, the giants who fight against you are actually fighting God. By the way, friends, that's why God sends giants in our path on a regular basis. First, to see if we will run or fight. Second, to allow us an opportunity to honor our God. So off he goes into battle with his staff and sling. As he heads down the slope, he pauses at the creek bed to pick up five smooth stones. We've tended to romanticize this part of the story, but the sling in David's day was a deadly weapon, like an early version of the Israeli Uzi. And David's got a five-round clip. Those stones, you see, were not necessarily pebbles or small rocks. They could be, if you can believe this, as large as a baseball. They would leave the sling at speeds approaching 100 miles per hour, which means when the stone hits its mark, something bad is about to happen. Now, by this time, David is coming near Goliath. Behind him, the whole army is watching. Go get him, David. You can do it. We're with you. As he walked, Goliath got bigger and bigger and bigger. On the other side, somebody spots David and the Philistines start laughing. Another fellow starts taking bets on how long it will take Goliath to break him in two. But before they could fight, there was one more thing they had to do. In single combat, the fighters would first yell at each other, kind of an Old Testament version of trash talking. So Goliath says to David, come on over here, son, and I'm gonna feed you to the birds and the animals. David answers back in verses 45 through 47. This is one of the greatest statements in the Bible. Quote, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day 
the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, here's the point. Don't tell God how big your giants are. Tell your giants how big your God is. David is saying, I come to you in the name of all that my God is. Watch out, Goliath. My God is bigger than you, and he's going to lay your body down. With that, David suddenly starts to run. As he runs, he puts a stone in his sling and cocks his arm. He's like Patrick Mahomes on a rollout. Run, load, fire, all in one quick motion. The stone hurtled through the air, and it came in right between the eyes and lodged in Goliath's forehead. He never knew what hit him. Such a thing had never entered his mind before. One moment, he's watching David run. The next, everything goes black. And with a mighty crash, he falls to the ground, stoned out of his mind. Verse 50 emphasizes how it happened. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Oh, one other little detail here. David had promised to cut off his head, but he didn't have a sword. So he grabs Goliath's sword and starts hacking away. Meanwhile, the soldiers on both sides cannot believe what they have just seen. From the north end of the valley, the men of Israel are cheering, whooping, hollering. One grizzled old sergeant says, let's go get them, boys. On the other side, sheer panic. Here come the Israelis. There go the Philistines. It was a slaughter. The road back to Gath was littered with dead Philistines. Then the Jews went back to the battlefield and plundered their tents. It was the most one-sided duel in history and Israel's greatest military victory, all because one man saw life from God's perspective. A whole nation saved, revived, and energized because a young shepherd, a young shepherd boy from Bethlehem, dared to see life from the top down. David arrived early in the morning, a grocery boy. By sundown, he's a national hero. For that one act of bravery, he was enshrined forever in history. Never again would he be overlooked. Never again would he be taken for granted. Now, I want to ask and answer two questions and then raise a third and we'll be through. Number one, what would qualify as a giant today? For most of us, the greatest giants are the ones we face on the inside, the giants of doubt, unbelief, fear, anger, greed, sloth, gluttony, envy, despair, discouragement, 
self-condemnation, fear of failure, critical spirit, and uncontrolled lust. Usually, those inner giants defeat us much faster than any giant we face on the outside. It's in the mind where the battle of David versus Goliath must be fought and won every single day. Question two, why does God put giants in our path? Primarily because soldiers grow up on the battlefield and we will never grow up until we dare to go out and face Goliath head on. There is nothing like war to turn a boy into a man. As long as we run when the giant rears his ugly head, we'll have to face him tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and the day after that. He won't go away until we stand up and fight him. As long as we cower in the rocks instead of going down into the valley to face the giant in our path, we can never become all that God intends us to be. Let me wrap up by asking what seems like a strange question. At what point did Goliath die? When did David kill him? And you say, when the stone hit his forehead. No, not really. Or you say, when David cut his head off. No, not even then. Go back a little bit. Was it when he picked up the five smooth stones? No, not exactly. Was it when he told Goliath what he was going to do? No, but you're close. 1 Samuel 17:40 tells us that after David picked up the five smooth stones, he approached the Philistine. When he took that first step, Goliath was a dead man. He just didn't know it yet. David won the victory with that first step. The rest is history. David possessed Goliath's head while it was still attached to his shoulders. Goliath never had a chance. He was just a paper giant. Many years ago, I heard a definition of faith that has never left me. Faith is belief plus unbelief and acting on the belief part. Did David know something the other men of Israel didn't know? No, he didn't. They also knew God was great and mighty and powerful. They knew he was the Lord of hosts. It wasn't a matter of knowledge. Any of them could have killed Goliath if they had been willing to take that first step in the name of the Lord. Now, apply this truth to your own life. What giants stand in your way today? Name them. Write them down. Think about how the giants of circumstance and opposition have combined to keep you enslaved almost to the brink of despair. How much longer will you hide in the rocks of fear? When are you going to step out into the valley and face the giant eyeball to eyeball? Sooner or later, you got to peek over the top of the ridge, look into the valley, and take that first step forward. It won't be easy, and there are no guarantees, but you'll never know until you take your heart in your hands and step forward by faith. You take that first step, not because you think you can do it, but because you know you can't. Therefore, you know that if the giant is defeated, it is because God has done it through you. This story is in the Bible because there are still giants in the land, and God is looking for some Davids who will grab five smooth stones and step into the valley. On behalf of all of us at American Family Radio, I wish you and yours a safe and happy Memorial Day. You've been listening to the American Family Radio special, The Battle of Elaw Valley. 
featuring Ray Pritchard. Ray is president of Keep Believing Ministries. If you would like to connect with Ray or learn more about Keep Believing Ministries, visit keepbelieving.com. You can hear this message again on the podcast page of AFR.net. The Battle of Elah Valley is an American Family Radio special presentation.